0: And away we go. Made it to Friday. What a great day for talk radio. Yes, it's the weekend. Unbelievable. T-minus. Yes, it is. Uh, Five days away from the legalization of pot. Need you be reminded. And I'm guessing this weekend uh, there will be many participating in a a dry run of sorts. A dress rehearsal. Well, you know what? I mean, it doesn't make any sense that, uh, that you would be taking chances. Well, what I'm saying is there's nobody that's going to come in and bust you for this like five days out, are there? I mean, come on. For all intents and purposes, we're there. We've made it into the red zone. It's around the bend. We're about to punch it across the goal line, if you want to see it in those terms. You know, I mean, to get somehow uh, taken in... fine charged with marijuana possession at this point that's like you know one of these infantry men who uh get shot 20 minutes before the armistice is signed oh. makes no sense or the teacher who gives you uh homework on june 28th like come on. yeah right like, whatever come on you know for well you're a little exuberant today just chill it's out. friday well that's what it is okay yeah. and you're off next week aren't you yes i okay. am okay well that explains a lot
1: there you go uh,
0: right around the time that weed is legalized. You managed to work (laughs) a vacation in around that. It is
1: just a coincidence. Is that what that is? It is. is. Okay, sure. I'm going to hunt down a hurricane. I'm going to Florida.
0: Oh, are you? Well, uh, you're going to be late to the dance because this thing's already passed through. Danny was saying, though, rather cataclysmic. I mean, whole communities destroyed. This thing uh, was the biggest hurricane to, I guess, hit the mainland or the panhandle area of the yeah. f- uh, Florida, the Gulf Coast. That's what took it hard. Historically, and uh, 13 dead to this point. A lot of people missing. Communities, as I say, raised, wiped right out. It's just one of those things where we're in that season. But, you know, there was a report from the United Nations Interclimate uh, Climate. Panel, uh, whatever it is, the IPCC.
1: The tall foreheads. Well, they came like up Call
0: them. Well, they're all these scientists and people who purport to project into the future. Professor Franks. They've given us all kinds of scenarios whereby uh, we better brace ourselves because life's about to change because we're going to hit 1.5 degrees Celsius on average by the end of the century in terms of warming, and if it goes to two, uh, it's a scorched earth, basically.
1: Does that mean I'll have a constant tan?
0: Well, maybe a little more than that, you know, buy buy some beachfront property on Hudson Bay and uh, you'll make out like a bandit. Well, it's an interesting question because, you know, this is the whole point and purpose of the carbon tax that's being visited upon us. Although Doug Ford says he's going to fight it on behalf of Ontario, even if he has to take it to the Supreme Court. Our buddy Conrad Black is going to join us at the bottom of the hour. He's always good on that file. He thinks it's a colossal fraud being imposed on the taxpayers, well, anywhere in the free world where the carbon tax has reared its head. Uh, so we will speak to that issue, as I say, at the bottom of the hour. And something else that came out from the Supreme Court yesterday that we talked about at length and we'll do again today, it has to do with the uh, legislators, the lawmakers in the land, do not have a duty to consult indigenous groups when putting together laws that may impact their hunting, fishing, or environmental concerns and that has broad-reaching implications for mega-projects. I'll get Conrad in on that, but surprisingly, too, uh, Joe Oliver, the former Minister of Finance and Natural Resources, when he was in the Harper government back in 2012, uh, he had proposed... You know, one assessment and the project goes forward and it got stifled in a lot of cases because there were indigenous groups that said you didn't consult us properly. And then you have the protesters and the activists and so on and so forth. So he's going to shed some light on that from his perspective after five o'clock, as I say. It's an interesting development. Uh, If you're not paying attention, it has these broad reaching implications like a Kinder Morgan pipeline may get built rather than get stifled. And, uh, you know, it takes a lot of the politics out of it because, in effect, if the people making the laws decide the project goes ahead, that's pretty much it. That's the democratic system. And while the crown has a duty to consult and uh, all the rest of that, this is the lawmakers, that, that component has been determined to be sovereign and has dominion when it comes to uh, this ruling from the Supreme Court. So, again, uh, it you know in layman's terms, we'll break it down. It just means, effectively, that uh, there's no judge-made law, and the activists don't really have a role to play. It's all about the people's voice and uh, what they want as a uh, voice through their, their lawmakers, their representatives. We also have our panel topics worthy of discussion, none more so than, of course, uh, when it comes to recreational use, of certain intoxicants. Matter of fact, you know, the beer tax has been lowered in this province, or frozen anyway, and uh, many hail Doug Ford for going that route. Just heard the report from Danny where Mike Schreiner, who's the head of the Green Party, mm-hmm. he out of Guelph, the sole member of the party, That's right. believes it's grossly irresponsible because it deprives the provincial coffers of tax money that could be used in other regards. So this petty populism, I guess, a cynic might uh, deem it to be, is really not that significant. But I'm going to talk to somebody from the beer industry. As a matter of fact, the chair of Beer Canada and the president and CEO of Waterloo Brewing, George Croft, is going to join us this hour, too, to explain why this is going to be, you know, a mini boon to the brewing industry. And then, of course, we do have the marijuana industry, which is... A colossus. Man, the more I'm reading about this, it's just frighteningly big. It's the new gold rush as I see it. But there are some implications. And in fact, there was a change in the American border law that uh, has some implications for people who work in the industry here mm-hmm. in Canada. You can now cross because it was up until yesterday when they changed the law or the rules and they did it rather quietly under the radar. This is the uh, Border Patrol people stateside. Uh, I guess it's the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Agency. They've decided that anybody who works in the domestic cannabis industry in Canada will be allowed free entry into the United States, whereas before they would not have. There was some kind of dispute or uh, people were up in limbo wondering if they could be deterred from entering the United States. Right. And until like Tuesday, I believe, is when this actually came down, Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, that was very much a real concern. So now. Uh, You will be allowed into the states, even if you work in the industry.
1: There you go. That's the latest. There's going to be a lot of different facets to this topic that are just going to kind of keep, you know, uh, unpacking, you know, and changing and shifting. All
0: right. Here's one. Uh, I mean, maybe uh, when the border guy stops you, customs individual, Mm -hmm. and says, do you work in the cannabis industry? What do you say? Yes, but I'm self-employed. I grow my own. I mean, what does that do? Does and that actually mean ben, you ben, can what does he do? turn right around? I'm sorry. Get your ass back into Canada. No glove. Uh, well, that would Move no, on. no glove. Uh, wait a minute.
1: What, I'm just saying, you, things have happen at the border.
0: Well, okay. I don't know. I don't know what experiences you've had, which, which is why you're eagerly anticipating that vacation going stateside, I guess. My goodness. All right.
1: I'm just saying, you know, when you go across the border to the U.S., you got to be careful no matter what.
0: Well, you don't want to lie. You don't want to say
1: the wrong thing. You don't want to lie. Yeah, well, you start by not lying to a federal agent.
0: Right? That, that would be my Good advice. start. As a matter of fact, that's uh, even what the Canadian authorities are telling you not to do. <laughs> Whatever. Don't so lie. Confused. Don't, or that's what they're telling you to do. Don't, do not lie to the border agent. But let's face it, I mean, I'm just if tell the consumed, truth. if you consumed. And, you know, uh, you're wearing some hemp T-shirt with a big butt on. You just, you've got to be playing by the rules. Dress for the gig, so to speak, and make sure, you know, I would suggest you'd you'd probably want to lie if, uh, you know, the honesty is not the best policy, you know. And uh, I hate to counsel you in this way, but it just makes common sense, particularly. In a country where it's legalized, and I'm guessing a lot of people will imbibe, and ultimately you want to go to the states sometime in the winter for a winter break.
1: (laughs) And if something is flagged, you know, it can make it even more challenging when you go across the, the border again in the future.
0: Well, you know, and then there are industries. This is where it gets interesting because, you know, the Toronto Police Association came out with a statement. We're going to talk to its head, Mike McCormick, after six o'clock. They're upset with this imposition of a 28-day window where you cannot have uh, taken marijuana uh, for 28 days before reporting for active duty. And they believe that this is too stringent. It's uh, an infraction of their their rights, uh, the collective agreement common sense. They cite a lot of criteria. I'll get it directly from the horse's mouth, in this case, McCormick. But it's interesting because this is one industry, if you will, policing and, you know, first responders in general, uh, you would expect that they would not be impaired when they show up for duty. But what does that mean? Uh, Being fit for active duty, if they take it upon themselves to know what their own tolerance level is, that may mean, you know, the night before they're okay, and then they show up the next morning, they're good and go, good to go. Whereas the trucking associations in Canada, they're actually calling for mandatory drug testing uh, as of Wednesday. They effectively are saying uh, everything we do uh, does uh, revert to. Higher accountability and standards when it comes to public safety and the operation of a motor vehicle on a public highway well, there you go therefore the Ontario Trucking Association and the Canadian Trucking Alliance wanna see mandatory drug and alcohol testing for truckers once marijuana becomes legal next week so if you had this mandatory testing and it was random you could eliminate any window at all because of course then the officer would have to take the chance that they're not going to be tested. But the cops would never go for that because they feel that's an infringement of their rights, this random testing. Again, I'll ask McCormick, but these are the truckers now who believe that this is the right approach to things and where impairment can last up to 24 hours after last use, according to Health Canada, they believe that this is the uh, approach that is best suited to their industry. And good for them. I mean, random testing, uh, you know, rather than imposing any kind of uh, an arbitrary timeline after which you're safe and good to go because people, as we know, metabolize in different ways.
1: Well, and we've heard from a lot of people in the trucking industry on the show about uh, some of the challenges, you know, that they face within their own industry about being safe on the roads and well, training etc cetera, etc cetera, and the big rig sure. you've got a lot of you know uh, a lot of weight that you're taking down the road there yeah
0: well you don't want to roll the dice on that and so the industry has taken it upon itself to support mandatory testing now whether or not that's random testing I'm not entirely clear on that but the mandatory testing means zero tolerance effectively and so some are saying this is what Chief Saunders was getting at with a 28-day window When you make it 28 days, it's uh, almost impractical to impose and to to police, no pun intended, so effectively what cop is going to run that risk? If, in fact, testing could detect that there's still a trace element in there up to 28 days, but I don't know. We'll ask McCormick, as I say, a little later in the program. I find it interesting because different provinces have different ways of approaching the legalization. Now, in Quebec, I'm reading today where some towns and cities, not Montreal, but, say, Sherbrooke, Saguenay, Levy, across from Quebec City, Quebec City itself, uh, there's no public use at all being allowed. They banned it outright. So you're not walking down the sidewalk smoking it as you might a cigarette here in Toronto. That is verboten. They've just decided to go full Monty and eliminate everything. Right out of the question, you cannot smoke it in public. Because they don't want the odor, uh, the secondhand smoke, which may be more deleterious, I guess, than uh, tobacco smoke, or so the argument goes. But right off the hop, these communities in Quebec have decided, because municipalities get to set their own bylaws, And this is a case of Quebec saying that uh, they do not want any of this consumed in public. So where does that leave you? Would you consume strictly at home if you can't on the street? You know, there's another option. This I found with cigars, uh, private pot club lounges. So you set up a private club. Maybe you've got a dispensary or, you know, up until April 1, there's no dispensary per se. You buy it in the online store and you have it delivered via Canada Post. But if somebody sets up a private club, you go there and... I'm assuming it's ventilated, you smoke your brains out. Would that be okay to do uh, in the absence of doing it publicly, or do you think still the better model is the one that we've adopted for now in Ontario, in Toronto? You're allowed to smoke in public. Of course, where there are restrictions on smoking, uh, as there are with cigarettes, away from the door of an establishment by nine meters Uh, not in parks, not on patios, in enclosed buildings, apart from your, your own domicile or a private club? Or do you believe that Quebec has got it right in some of these towns and cities? We should not allow for any kind of public consumption.